Okay, as I say, we're uh, carrying on with this series. We're now into week five, I believe. Um, and then we've got one more week next week. Uh, it's going to be looking at church planting. So something which might seem a little bit uh, different from what we've been doing these last few weeks, but we're looking at church planting. But before we get into that, uh, if you can just have a look on your seats or on the seats around you, you may well, hopefully, uh, or at least be able to see someone holding one of the... I'm not sure whether these are flyers or leaflets. I'm not quite sure what you would uh, call them. There's some form of literature uh, that has everyone a witness written on the front of them. I just want to draw your attention to these. Uh, and with everyone a witness, uh, this is really what we've been looking at over these past uh, the past two weeks, and we're going to be carrying on looking at this morning. Uh, and it's just this, uh, it's a key part really of, of what we're looking to be as relational mission churches, the understanding that each one of us uh, is called to be a witness for Jesus. Wherever we are in our workplace, with our neighbours, with our friends, with our family, we're each uh, called to be witnesses. And uh, they've produced, relational mission have just produced this really helpful, just uh, give some key verses uh, and just highlights what the principles really are. Behind each, uh, behind every one of witness, uh, particularly through words, works, and wonders. So, just we wanted to just um, make these available to you, just to help uh, remind you over the coming weeks, coming months, really, of what we're looking at. I would say put it in a safe place, but if you're anything like me, to put something in a safe place means you're never going to see it again. It's that safe. Uh, so, put it somewhere where you're likely uh, to, to see it frequently, and keep coming back to it, just to remind you to remind yourself of what it is that we're called to be as witnesses for Jesus. Also at the bottom you'll see there's a perforated part uh, that can be separated. It's got your stories written on it. It is really important that we share our stories of what Jesus is doing in us and through us. Uh, so it would be great that um, as a church we want to have a culture where we're sharing these stories with one another. Um, but also Relational Mission want to hear our stories as well of uh, key ways in which we've been witnessing to people, uh, stories that we have of that. So if that's something that you'd like to, to, to do, you'd like to share one of your stories, whether it's here with us in Faversham or whether you want to send it to be a blessing to Relational Mission Family Churches, we've got that there as well. So please do make use of that, would be excellent. So as I say, we're kind of uh, week three of looking at everyone a witness at this um, at this point in our series, I will say if you've got your, if those flyers, if you can put your, your flyers down and pick your Bibles up instead, we're going to be using our Bibles really as our reference point this morning. Uh, and if you can be turning to Acts 3, we're going to be heading there in just a moment. Uh, I think we, we were, have been so greatly blessed and so well served over the last couple of weeks, having Carl and Martin coming in, having their input, um, you know, hearing what God's put on their heart for us. And again, they've been looking at this whole... Uh, the, the truth that each and every single one of us is called to be a witness for Jesus. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus says this to his follow, followers. He says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Each and every single one of us. Witnesses are those who tell of what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. That's what a witness does. They just share what they know. And that's what each of us are called to do. I think it was in, um, when Carl was with us, he said something that I thought was so helpful. In that oftentimes we can look to the people who seem to have a particular gift in, in telling people about Jesus. The kind of ones or two people in the church. People that we uh, would recognise as having a, a gift of, of evangelism. The evangelists in the church. And we can... We can fall into a pattern of thinking, 
that's where their gifting is. Let's leave it up to them to be the ones that, that tell people about Jesus and proclaim the gospel. Carl made a really helpful comment. He said that actually the job of the evangelist is to train and to equip the rest of the church so that the rest of us are built up and feel equipped and able to go and do it. It's not just down to one or two people in the church. Each and every single one of us are called to be witnesses. So that's what we're carrying on with, looking at this morning for this third week. And again, I think it was Carl that said, this isn't a new initiative as such, but what they're looking to do is, to, it's this, uh, is bring in a, a changing culture, a shifting culture where all of us have the attitude of, how can I be witnessing for Jesus in the situations I find myself? Wherever I am, whoever I'm with, whatever the situation is, how can I be witnessing for Jesus in this place? A couple of weeks ago, I, I wasn't here on the Sunday. I think Eva had been on well, so we, we stayed at home. But Steph was sharing how, in the, I think it was in the week leading up to it, uh, we discovered that Eva can climb out of her cot. We thought maybe it was just a one-off. Steph put her back in and she climbed out straight away. We're like, okay, some, we, we need to, to make some preparations here. So our weekend plans were completely scuppered because we had to make sure everything was baby-proof, that there were stair gates up everywhere they needed to be, that... Uh, her furniture was secured in case she got out and was uh, just wandering around her room when we weren't there. So the toolbox had to come out. Uh, I'm not going to go into too many details because our landlords are here and I want them to be able to concentrate on what I'm saying this morning. I don't want them to be distracted. Everything was fine. It's all good. Um, and, but um, it, it's so true that you, know, you have different tools for different jobs. You just, there's not one thing that you can use to do all of the jobs. You have to have a number of tools. It's, it's fairly expensive, isn't it, to get a full toolkit just because of the amount of things that, that you might need. Every, uh, each job, you need to look at each job, each situation, and look at what tool do I need to use that's going to be the best tool for this job. And one of the ways that everyone a witness is being talked about in relational mission particularly through, uh, from Mike Betts this has come, and Mike Betts who heads up the family of churches. He talks about everyone a witness as it's being like a toolkit that we carry around with us everywhere that we go. And in this toolkit we have, there are three particular areas that they've picked up on, and they're words, works, and wonders. Words, what are the words that we can be speaking to people about sharing our stories of what Jesus has done in our lives? Maybe there are words that people need speaking into their lives, just, uh, just helpful things, just words of kindness, um, just words of gratitude, those kind of things. Where are the situations where, where that tool would be the most effective one in, in witnessing to someone? Or with works, caring for people, looking after those who are in difficult situations. Is there anything that we can do in, in a physical way to help alleviate pressure on people? People who are struggling with finance or with housing, those kind of things. What are the ways in which our works can demonstrate a witness for Jesus. It's, that was what Martin was looking at last week. It's not just enough to be able to say the right words. We need to match it with the way that we live and in the way that we demonstrate that through our works. And then there's also uh, a, the third kind of tool in this toolkit is that of wonders. In these situations, can we be praying for people? Can we be uh, seeing people healed? Can we be speaking words of knowledge, things that God has revealed? into people's lives as a way of witnessing this is who God is this is who God is and this is what God does and the thing that we have to, to remember is that everywhere we go we carry these resources of heaven with us we carry this toolkit with us the thing that we need to learn is to be able to discern which is the right tool 
for that time and at that situation. But we partner with the Holy Spirit in that. So as I say, we've had words, works and wonders. We've looked at words and works over the last couple of weeks and we're looking at wonders this morning. So Acts chapter 3, I'm going to pick up from the very start and we're going to look at this story of this situation where uh, there was this witness through a wonder and we're going to look at the impact that it had. So from the start of chapter 3, it says that Peter and John, they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer which was the ninth hour. And a man who had been lame from birth was being carried, who they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms, that's to ask for for money uh, of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. And he was walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what, at what had happened. What then happens from this point on is this great crowd gather around Peter and John. They want to know what's going on. They've seen this healing take place and they want to know kind of what's behind it. They want to know more of the story. And Peter, he, he speaks to them and he says, this is nothing to do with anything in kind of our own power. We haven't done this by ourselves, And he goes on to teach them about Jesus, about Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And as they're doing this, there's a number of priests and the captain of the temple. They're kind of aware of what's going on. They're not really happy about this. And so they have Peter and John put into custody overnight to be brought out before the council the next morning. And what scripture tells us is that by, in a way it was a little bit too late. By the time that they stopped, so many people had heard what they'd been preaching what they'd been witnessing. And it says that many of them believed, many of them uh, put their trust in Jesus. And it says that the number of of men that day came to 5,000. This was a huge uh, outbreak of salvation, a huge response to the gospel. And then the next day, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, they gather together and they bring Peter and John to the council before them. And they ask them this question, by what power, in terms of the healing that had taken place, by what power or what name did you do this? We pick it up from chapter 4, verse 8. It says that Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognised that they had been with Jesus. What an absolutely amazing story. This witness that Peter and John made to this one man. And then you see the impact that it had and the significance that it had. So at the beginning 
of the passage that we were reading. We've got Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple, they're on their way to pray, to do their prayers, and they see this man uh, who, who was sat by the gates. This man, he was there every day, he would have been uh, well known to the people that, that were there, often they would have known who he was, they would have known his situation. And he's there and he's asking Peter and John, he's like, have you got any money that you can give me to help me in my need? And the thing that Peter and John do at the moment, it's like they, they see the man and they look at this toolkit. You know, we're talking about this toolkit of, of what they've been given by God in how, to, in how to witness for him. And they look at what they've been given. And they say, do you know what? We haven't got any money. We haven't got any gold. Even that's what the, what the man had been asking for. But I think actually, even if they'd had money or gold, they recognised that that is not what this man needed. Even though it's what he thought he needed, what this man needed was to be healed. Peter and John recognised that. And it's like they go into their toolkit and they say, right, what's the right way that we can witness for Jesus here? Words, works, wonders. And they're like, let's go for wonders. This man needs to be healed. This is the way that we can witness to him of the love that Jesus has for him. And it says that, that they take his hand and as they do so, they say, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the power of Jesus, not any power that they have, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And they take him up and he's healed. So they recognised the man's needs and they recognised that actually in this instance, he needed to be healed. That's what he needed. And for all the people that are watching, they, they witnessed what was happening. And we're told, scripture tells us that they were filled with wonder at what they'd seen. Do you know that feeling where you're just filled with, with wonder, just absolute amazement of something you, you, you kind of like, have I really just seen what I've just seen? You kind of have to double take almost. It's that sense of just seeing something remarkable, something unfamiliar. It's kind of out of the ordinary and we're just struck with this sense of wonder and amazement. And that's what happens to the crowds when they see this healing take place. They know this man. They know the situation that this man is in. They know how many years he's been coming day by day to the gate, asking for help, asking for money. They know him. And then they've seen this same man who they've known to be unable to walk. He's up and he's dancing and he's celebrating and he's leaping and he's praising God. And it piques their interest. There's something within them now that's saying, we want to know exactly what's going on here. Their curiosity has been stirred. And they gather around to find out more. What's going on? They ask. This is what wonders and this is what signs do. A sign, it, it points to something. That's what its purpose is. It points to something. It's, it, it's to direct people in a certain way. Mike Betts at the um, leadership conference that we went to in June, he was talking about everyone a witness and talking about signs and wonders. And he, he used a really helpful, helpful picture. He said, imagine you were going on holiday, say if you were going to somewhere like Cornwall, and on your way there, you'd expect to see signs that telling you that you're going in the right direction, pointing you in the right direction. He says, you don't stop by the side of the road by this sign and just kind of stop there and take your photos and spend your time there. He's like, that's not what the point in signs are. They're to point you on to where you need to get to, to point you on to where your destination is. And when the Bible talks about signs and wonders, that's what they're for. They're signs that point us to something or to someone else. So signs of any kind are to point us to our need for our relationship with God. Not only for our need for a relationship with God, but the fact that actually a relationship with God is available through the work of Jesus Christ. 
through his sacrifice, through the gift that he's given us. That's the destination. The relationship with God, being brought into his family, that's the destination, not the sign itself. Throughout the New Testament, if you read through the New Testament, we'll often see, um, it will say things like they were doing great signs and wonders, many signs and wonders, great signs, they were doing wonders. If you're anything like me, when I look at that, I kind of want a bit more detail so I can think, okay, so if they were doing signs and wonders, I want to know exactly kind of what's going on. The Bible doesn't always tell us exactly what these signs and wonders were. But oftentimes, when uh, there are mentions of signs and wonders, it goes on to speak of healing. It goes on to speak of people being healed from spiritual oppression uh, and, and that sort of thing. So I think um, th- that's very helpful for us to realise that that would be a part of it. That's not necessarily all of it. As I say, signs are anything that will point someone to Jesus. It could be uh, a miraculous provision of, of finance or, or, or something like that as well. But when I've been looking at uh, wonders in terms of what relational mission have, have, have in, in their mind when they're talking about it, it seems that a big part of the focus, so really a big part of what I want us to think about today, is about healing, uh, you know, being able to, to see people healed, um, and that being a sign that points to Jesus, but also on words of knowledge as well. Words of knowledge are where God imparts something to us, speaks something to us about uh, someone, about their situation, uh, about their, their life that God wants to speak into. It could be that he's revealing a sickness um, that, that he wants to, to heal or he wants someone to know that, that God is aware of it, that God knows about it. Or it could be about a, something that they're going through in their life, a situation they're going through, that God just wants to put his finger on it. And God can, can speak to us about this, but it's not to be kept to ourselves. There's no point if God gives us a word of knowledge uh, kind of as a way into someone's life if we don't share it. We need to be actually you know, sharing that that with people and showing them that God cares about them, God knows them, God knows what they're going through. So um, healing, seeing people set free from spiritual oppression, uh, words of knowledge, I would consider all of these things to be a part of what what signs and wonders are. And as I say, I think that's a particular focus through relational mission that that we're expecting God to, to bring breakthrough in as well. Signs are good. Isn't it great to see people healed? Isn't it great to see people set free from difficult situations where God comes in and he speaks directly to them in a way that only God can? They are good, but they're not the destination. They are pointers to someone else. And so the council, they question Peter and John. The question is, how was this man healed? By what power? By what name was it? And the answer is this. It's the name of Jesus It's the power of Jesus that this man was healed. But they don't stop there in their answer. They go on further because they recognise that this healing that's taken place is a pointer to something even greater than what's been witnessed. So they continue. They say um, it was the name of Jesus. And it's also in the name of Jesus that salvation is found. Salvation can be found nowhere else. There's no other name by which we must be saved. Can you see what they've done? They've gone from the healing, which has got people interested. It's got people curious about what's going on. And they take that and they actually point, pe- point people beyond that. And say, actually, there's a relationship here that you can have with God. And it's the same Jesus, by the power of his name, that this man was healed. It's the same name that you need to cry out. Uh, and, and it's the same name that has the power to bring 
salvation. Signs and wonders, in a sense, they have no power in and of themselves to save people or to rescue people. But they themselves, they're witnesses of the one who can. They point to the one who can. uh, When I was preparing this week, I came across a, a talk that John Piper had done looking at signs and wonders and he says that if you were to look through the book of acts just the book of acts alone he's counted at least 17 occasions where signs and wonders then help lead to people getting converted there's this pattern that you see signs and wonders people's curiosity is stirred there's opportunity uh, to point people beyond that and it leads to people's conversions at least 17 occasions just in the book of Acts. So that gives us a really helpful understanding of what signs and wonders are for. It's not to say that that's always going to be the case. I know of situations, particularly when seeing people get get healed, uh, and as far as I'm aware, they've not gone on to to have a relationship with God. That's not not been the case for them. Doesn't mean that it's not going to be at some point down the road. We don't always know what God's doing in terms of taking someone on in their journey. In that, and we've got to leave that with God. We've got to trust God. We've just got to be faithful and obedient to what God calls us to do. I, I think it's in the Relational Mission book. It's so helpful. Mike Betts says, um, "What God is looking for with us is obedience. We leave the results with Him. We're not responsible for the results, but we just step out in the ways that He's calling us to." I think that's so helpful and so freeing. The result is not dependent on us, but we need to be obedient to what God is leading us into. And I think we can't allow ourselves to be discouraged in the sense if someone gets healed or there's this wonderful word of knowledge that comes into their life or they see this, this thing that just is, is, is so wonderful, a, a provision of God or a work of God, and we immediately don't see them get saved. We can't allow ourselves to get discouraged because, as I say, we don't know. That could be a really significant part of their journey in coming to know God. And I think we need to celebrate it. Um, I think whenever someone gets healed, I want to celebrate because do you know what that is? That is God's kingdom come. That is part of God's kingdom come, people getting healed. So we want to celebrate it. But beyond that, I want to see people getting saved. I want to see people being pointed towards Jesus. I want to see people being pointed towards that relationship with God. And what signs and wonders can do is they can help to shatter disinterest. They can help to shatter cynicism. And they can open people up to the gospel. They can open people up to the gospel. Last week when Martin was with us, I think he touched briefly on a passage of scripture in Acts In Acts 6. There's a situation within the church that's come up uh, where different groups feel that their, their widows aren't being looked after. There's a group that feels theirs are being neglected. And um, what happens is that there's a group of guys that are raised up in the church where they're given the, the task of uh, looking after the widows, making sure they're cared for, making sure that their needs are met, making sure they have everything that they need. So that's um, kind of a ministry that's been set up within the church of of caring for people and looking after them. And we're told that one of these guys um, who's given this task is a man named Stephen. And we're told that Stephen is a man full of faith and a man full of the Holy Spirit. Acts 6 verse 8, so once Stephen's been given this responsibility within the church, in Acts 6 verse 8, it says that Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen, full of grace and full of power, was doing great signs and wonders among the people. There's no reason why we should think that Stephen was neglecting his responsibilities within the church. 
from what we can see, he's a very diligent man. We're told he's full of grace, he's full of the Holy Spirit, uh, he's, full of, he's full of faith. He would have been a diligent man that would have, have served and taken his responsibilities very seriously. So he wasn't neglecting his responsibilities within the church, but he was also witnessing outside of the church. He was witnessing outside of the church. I cannot get away from this when I was looking at this. He had his responsibilities within the church. He was serving in that way, but he was also outside of the church, demonstrating many, many great signs and many great wonders. When horses, in, in horse racing, I don't really know much about horse racing, but I know that when uh, that, that horses have, is it, they have blinkers that are put on. And the point of blinkers is that it cuts out the peripheral vision and it just keeps them focused ahead. If they weren't to have the blinkers on, they could go off course, they'd get distracted by the things and go off course. And the point of the blinkers is to keep them focused. And for the point of horse racing, it's really helpful. But I think sometimes we can have blinkers on that prove to be unhelpful if they keep us so focused on life within the church that they blind us to the fact that we're meant to be outside of the church as well. It could be blinkers that we've put on ourselves or it could be things that have just come upon us without us even realising, maybe fairly subtle things. It could be we know that we've got responsibility in church that we, we really want to fulfil and we want to do well, which is excellent. It could be, particularly for, this is something that I need to be aware of as, as a leader in the church, is that just there's pressure to manage and maintain what, what's going on in the church to, st- to such an extent that we're kind of just drawn to the church and, and that's where our, where our focus is. We kind of just get drawn there and, uh, and, and we can neglect other things if we're not careful. It could be that these blinkers have come on because church is comfortable, it's safe. To be thinking about witnessing for Jesus in the world is scary. It means that we might have to be vulnerable. It means we might, in, we might be rejected. We might fail. And actually, we can set these blinkers on and think, actually, if I just focus on church, it's safe and it's comfortable for me there. I don't need to put myself out there. And these blinkers can actually prevent us from seeing the, the very things, or rather the very people that we're meant to be looking for. The race that we are called to run as followers of Jesus, is not to take place solely within the confines of the church. The race that we are called to run should take us to the ends of the earth. It should take us everywhere. That's the call that Jesus made in Acts 1.8 that I mentioned at the beginning. You'll be my disciples, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In a sense, he's saying, take it everywhere. Witness for me everywhere, in every situation. And we just need to be aware that we're not blinkered and focused so much solely on the church that we forget actually we're meant to be witnessing everywhere. We're meant to be witnessing everywhere. The church is the bride that Jesus will one day return for. He is passionate about the church. We too should be passionate about the church. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. The church needs to be cared for. She needs to be nurtured. She needs to be taught and instructed. But Jesus also calls us to take the gospel everywhere. This is not an either or situation. It's not either the church or outside witnessing in the world. It's a both and. We need to be committed to both. 
We need to be committed to serving the church, but also being witnesses for Jesus wherever he would call us to do that. And we see that with Stephen, ministering within the church, but also outside, demonstrating great signs and wonders. And we also see it with Peter and John. They were on their way to the temple to pray. They didn't have their blinkers on. That was just like, this is just what we'd, we just need to get to, to the temple. We need to do our prayers. They had the blinkers off because they spotted this man. And they were able to witness to him in the situation in which he found himself. And with these guys, with Stephen and Peter and John, we also see that they were men who were full of the Holy Spirit. They partnered with the Holy Spirit. This is absolutely fundamental for us as we're looking to be witnesses, not just witnesses, but effective witnesses for Jesus. We need to be those who are full of the Holy Spirit and those who are partnering with the Holy Spirit. Whether that is to do with wonders or whether that's to do with works or words, whatever way we're being called to witness, we need to partner with him. Jesus calls us to be witnesses having received power when the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Do you recognise the order that Jesus says it? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Then you will be my witnesses. We won't be anywhere near effective witnesses if we try and do things in our own strength and in our own power. It has to be the Holy Spirit that empowers us. It has to be the Holy Spirit that leads us and directs us. It says that Stephen was full of grace and power. He was full of it. He was full of it. Absolutely full of power. Not just a a partial measure of it. He hadn't been slightly touched by the Holy Spirit. He was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was doing great signs and great wonders. He was demonstrating something that would be getting people's curiosity peaked. Demonstrating things of the kingdom. Now my, my... This morning, my my real focus wasn't so much to focus on kind of the how in terms of wonders and healing, how we go about healing and praying for healing and that kind of stuff. I think that's a a fairly broad thing that we'll look to to dig down to a bit more in growth groups and have some discussion and conversation about it. But what my focus really this morning was, I just want to get across to you how much we need to be full of the Holy Spirit and how dependent we need to be on the Holy Spirit. When you look at signs and wonders in the Bible, when you look at particularly with healing, sometimes it looks like there's no set technique. But there are people who are listening to what the Holy Spirit would say to them in terms of how to, how to see these things come through. So I want us to realise our absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit. But I also want our expectations to be raised about what God wants to do through you. Don't limit yourself. Don't set boundaries on what you think God could do through you. Because if you are full of the Holy Spirit, you could do exactly the same things that you read about in the, new, in, in the Scriptures. Because the Holy Spirit that was working then, he's the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And he is able to do signs and wonders through us in the same way that he was. These aren't just stories to look back on and think that was a nice period of history. Use these stories to inspire you about what God wants to do through you. Stephen 
I read from uh, Acts 6 verse 8 about what Stephen was doing, great signs and wonders among the people. If I carried on reading, what we see is that got him in an, such deep trouble with people to the extent that they stoned him to death because they hated what he was doing. But Stephen was full of courage and boldness that was not about him. It was what the Holy Spirit had put in him to the extent that he was willing to lay down his life to be a witness for Jesus. In the face, he knew what was going to happen to him. And we read, don't have the time this morning, we read this amazing speech that he gives before he's stoned to death. That's the Holy Spirit working within him to be a witness for Jesus. Peter, before he, he speaks to the council, there's a key bit. Before he speaks, it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't doing this in his own strength. He wasn't doing this in his own wisdom. He wasn't doing this in his own understanding. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he stands before the council. The rulers, the elders, the scribes, they would have been educated, knowledgeable men. They would have known what they were talking about. They would have understood the scriptures. And it says that they see the boldness. They saw the boldness of Peter and John. This is Peter. This is the same Peter who, when Jesus was still around, he denied even knowing Jesus. He was fearful. But when the Holy Spirit filled him, he was filled with boldness such to the extent that this council were looking at them and they could see the boldness that the Holy Spirit had set within them. And it says that the rulers, the elders, the scribes, they recognised that Peter and John were common, uneducated men. One of whom we know had a, had a history of being fearful. I say this because we need to be encouraged by this. We need to be encouraged by this. Don't just look at what Peter and John did and think, I could never do that. Do you know what? They probably never thought that they were going to do the things that they did. They knew they were uneducated, common men. People around knew that. But the people that, that, that knew them as common and uneducated men, they were amazed at the things that they said and they saw the boldness. And there's such a wonderful phrase there. It says that they, they knew, they recognised that these men had been with Jesus. When we come into... When, for those of us who follow Jesus, we, we know him. We get to be with him. I think the challenge for me and the challenge for us is when people look at us, do they know that we've been with Jesus? Because when we witness for him, words, works and wonders, people should be able to look at us and say, truly these people, they've been with Jesus. Don't discount yourself from what God has for you. You might look at yourself and you might think, I'm uneducated in, in, in whatever way. I don't know enough. I'm not intelligent enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not clever enough. I don't know enough of the Bible to be effective. I'm kind of just, I feel like I'm just starting to learn about, about Jesus and, and new on this walking faith. Or you might think I'm, I'm fairly common. There's nothing particularly uh, amazing or about me. I'm just fairly ordinary. Peter and John were ordinary, uneducated men. But look at the things that God did through them when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So church, be encouraged. 
But don't just be encouraged, be full of the Holy Spirit. That's the overriding thing that I see coming through over these few weeks. We need to be full of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he empowers us. And the Holy Spirit, he leads us. In Romans 8, it says that those who are led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. It's part of our identity. Sons and daughters of God, we're led by the Spirit. He takes us where he wants us to go to the people that he wants us to be with in the situations where we need to be. I just want to read a book. Uh, a book. I'm not going to read a book. I'm going to read a bit from a book. Uh, the Relational Mission book that Mike Betts read. And he just talks about this need for us to be empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm talking about learning to partner with the Holy Spirit. Each of us, through our personality, whether we're introverts or extroverts, Together with our gifting, we'll have styles of being a witness that we feel most comfortable with. Yet even in our comfort zone, Scripture tells us that we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to give us the boldness to share effectively, as we would not, as we would not find naturally within us all that we need to be a witness. The Holy Spirit, He takes us beyond our natural capacities in being a witness. I find being on a platform preaching to hundreds easier than chatting in a small group of 10 people. That's my natural bias. But I can only be an effective witness through the Holy Spirit. And through the, Ho- the same Holy Spirit, I can be a witness in any and every setting that God places me in. As we learn more to partner with the Holy Spirit, we'll learn how, when, who, why, what. We'll learn to go here, go there. Don't go there. Listen to that person. Don't speak to that person. Move away from them. We'll learn more and more what it is to flow in the daily guidance of the Holy Spirit leading. That, I believe, is one of the main reasons that the Holy Spirit is with us. So whatever ways that God is looking to use us in being a witness, through words, works or wonders, we need the Holy Spirit's power. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. Um, Eva, she, she's just started doing ballet. She's about four weeks in. She's picked some of it up quite quickly. There are other bits where she's just running around doing her own thing. Uh, and that we know that there'll be pit, uh, bits that she'll pick up later on as she goes through. That's just the way that we learn. We don't pick it up all in one go. But she's got bits, but she'll, she'll learn as she goes through. But you know what? Even when it feels like she has no idea what's going on, she's smiling for the whole session. She's just having such a great time. And I think it's such a helpful lesson for us. When we're looking at growing as being witnesses, it's a journey that we go on. We're not going to know all of it straight away. We're going to have to learn as we go through. There'll be bits that we get hold of very quickly and we can be very effective with. There are other bits it's going to take time and a process to, to grow in. Do you know what? There'll be bits where we feel like we have no idea what we're doing, like Eva does in ballet. But this is meant to be fun. This is not meant to be a burden. Please, I don't want these last three weeks to have been a burden on you. What I want is for it to have given you excitement and expectation about what God could do. This is meant to be fun. Seeing people healed, that is fun, seeing what God is doing. Seeing people, uh, their lives transformed through as as we we look to, to work and partner with them, to bring them out of difficult situations. That's fun to see restoration in people's lives. Let's be prepared to have some fun, church, because it will be, even if we don't always know exactly or feel like we know exactly what we're doing. 
Let's have some fun. Can we have the band up? We're going to come to a time of worship in just a moment. Um, but I just I want to share a story with you. This is a story that will be familiar for, for many of you. And this is, my, this is my story. And I'm not going to apologise for telling it again, because I think we need to keep reminding ourselves and telling stories of what God has done. I used to think that my story in terms of how I became a Christian wasn't that exciting. I grew up in a, in a Christian family, and then at some point when I, was, when I was really young, I decided that I wanted to give my life to Jesus. That's, that was my story. That's what I thought my story was. Um, but as the years are going on, I'm more and more aware, actually, of just how amazing my story really is, as each of our stories is. You see, when I was born, my parents weren't Christians. And uh, they, they had some Christian friends, Pete and Jill, I know in particular, that they were, were very close with. But my parents had no real interest in church, no real interest in God. And then when I was a week old, I was diagnosed with having meningitis very, very poorly, straight into hospital. And my mum remembers that for whatever reason, she just knew that she needed to let Pete and Jill know so that they could let the church know what was going on. And then the church were praying for me. This was the church, this church, the church were praying for me. And my parents, uh, they received letters from people within the church to encourage them and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and absolutely believe that God, that God healed me. I recovered from that. But then when I was out of hospital, I still wasn't seeming to be, to be very well. Very distressed, very restless. I was actually uh, showing, I was doing particular movements that would, that would show that potential brain damage. I was kind of showing these things and uh, I'd been, to see, been taken to the doctor to have a checkup. And he took one look at me and said, something's not right, we need to get him into hospital. And um, I think it was Pete and Jill and, and Pete Bean came to the hospital because they knew they needed to come and pray. And I was lying in the bed, lying in the cot, uh, screaming, really restless, almost fit, fit in doing all these movements, no peace or anything. And I think it was, it was I think it might have been Pete Bean, just prayed a very simple prayer along the lines of it was either God give him peace or God let him sleep and as soon as he prayed that I, I fell asleep um, <laughs> and the next morning when they came to do tests the, the tests showed that nothing was wrong to the extent that the doctors couldn't understand what had happened because they'd seen what I'd been like the night before that started my parents off on a journey this is what signs and wonders do Yes, celebrate. Well, I'm going to celebrate because God healed me. But it was, a, it was something that opened my parents up to, to actually start asking the questions about God. And, and they, they came to, to a place where they put their faith in Jesus. My dad was quicker than my mum to do that, but they, they both came to that point where they committed their lives to Jesus. I, mean, I was brought up in a Christian household, so even though I always thought my story was I was just brought up in a Christian household, you know what, there was this great healing that took place beforehand that meant my parents got saved so I was brought up in a Christian household. There are now three generations of my family who are in this church. And it just really struck me. What would have happened 
if these Christians hadn't come to my bedside and prayed for me. God could well have done things in another way. And, and you know, my parents may, may well have still become Christians. I don't know. But it took these dear friends to take a step of faith to say we're going to be a witness in this situation. We're going to come and we're going to pray for this baby. Three generations of my family are here because of that moment as far as I'm concerned. You have no idea what the consequences might be of you stepping out. It might be frightening. You might be taking a risk. But if the Holy Spirit is leading you and prompting you to be a witness in someone's life in whatever way that might be, it might just be a simple word of encouragement. Who knows what the consequences might be of that? I just, I, I love my story now. I absolutely love it. But it took ordinary people, I mean no disrespect by that, but it took ordinary people who, had, who were full of the Holy Spirit and had absolute confidence in their God to take a risk and take a step out. And look at what the consequences are. I'm stood up here preaching to you this morning because of that. Be encouraged, church. Shall we stand? I'm just going to hand straight back over to Pete and the team.